Welcome to the Miles Pike Podcast, a podcast that strives to foster excellence in gospel music, both on the stage and in the local church, through conversations. I'm your host, Miles Pike. I'm hoping to probe into the lives and minds of gospel artists, industry legends, and some frontline people on the worship scene. Guests include fellow artists, pastors, session players, producers, songwriters, comedians, radio personalities, and theologians. Subscribe to not miss an episode. Share on social media with the musicians, pastors, and music ministers in your life. And please rate and comment to help take us all the way to being able to say that dozens and dozens are listening. Thank you for taking time to join in on the conversation. Now on to the program. In the home that I grew up in, there were several funny men that I knew well. Maybe you know some of those names too, like Jerry Clower, Carl Hurley, Ray Stevens, and Aaron Wilburn. My guest today is one who would not only qualify for that list, but would also go on the list of songwriter, television personality, and multi-talented instrumentalist. I've recorded two of his songs myself, and they are always fan favorites. He's appeared on many of the Gaither videos, but is often seen taking the gospel to secular venues as well in the guise of a humorist. I hope you enjoy this serious look at a very funny man, Tim Lovelace. Well, on the phone with me this morning, I have Tim Lovelace, and I am so glad to have the opportunity to speak to this fella. I've uh, known him for for several years, um, certainly by reputation. I want to uh, introduce the folks to uh, that, that may not know your whole story, that may know your name or some of your songs, but what about your early years? Where are you from? How'd you get started? Well, I'm originally, I tell people I was originally, uh, I was educated at UCLA, which is not the college, it's the upper corner of lower Alabama. And so that's where I'm <laughs> from. Down, yep, down around uh, Mobile, Alabama area two little small towns I lived in there, Saraland and Satsuma. And um, I was raised in a, uh, a family that loved music. My mom and dad both sang and played instruments. And one of my uncles, was, uh, he was in the Stamps Quartet back in the, like the 40s. And so my oh, aunts okay. and uncles were all um, shape note singers. So they'd gather around the piano and do the so la, so mi, re, do, re, mi, so mi, all the shape notes. Mm-hmm. And yep. uh, and they were great, great sight readers. Uh, my dad was in the band, trumpet player, and mom played piano and accordion. And dad, dad did, did a, a limited amount of songwriting too. Um, so I was raised around music, and um, I just, you know, fell in love with music at a really early age, and and uh, different styles of music. Um, uh, as far as gospel. Um, which is what my family listened to mostly. Although I listened to the radio, so back then they would play a just a conglomeration wasn't necessarily just a you know one style of gospel or one style of country it was just like three or four strong stations and they and they were liable to play the Florida boys and the next song was maybe uh, um, was maybe George Jones and the next song would be uh, Glenn Campbell and the next song could be JKS with a with a uh, and so, so it, was, it was a different time as far as that with the radio and I listened oh, goodness, to all different yeah. styles um, but uh, uh, the group I listened to real early on, one of my favorite groups were, were the uh, Statesman Quartet. It was always mm-hmm. with the Spear family and Blackwoods and a lot of those groups. But as a kid, I, I listened to Statesman and, and uh, J.K.S. And we would go out to some of the concerts. And our 
And so that was always neat. I remember sitting there and someone saying, here comes the big chief. And I was just a little boy, you know, and <laughs> here, here come this guy with that low voice wearing an all-white suit. And uh, uh, so well, I, was, I was raised around that gospel music, although, I, I, like I said, I, I listened to, to different styles. Well, that must have been very cool for you to get to later uh, work with J.K.S. on the videos. Yes, ab and, uh, absolutely. And uh, so. so, yeah, and uh, and then uh, to give a quick bio, uh, Miles, uh, uh, after I got out of band, I went to the University of South Alabama for a while. I was uh, uh, majoring in music, but I was working in a studio called Southern Sound Productions there uh in Mobile, Alabama, and we did a lot of really neat work because, as I've already said, I, I love different styles, and, and so the studio would, would, we did everything, you know, we would do a lot of bank jingles, uh, so I, I, that really worked on me as a writer because, you know, you'd have a corporation or a company come in or um, a university or a hospital that would want a, a jingle, and then they would meet with you and give you a long list. We want all of these things and it's our 75th anniversary and all of this <laughs> and all of this. They would name five billion things and then then you have to write like a 57 second jingle, you know, for it to ring out at, at one minute. And then you make a 30 second jingle and a 50. So, so you'd have to write a lot of things in a short amount of time, mm -hmm. you know, so it, it, was, it was really a, a good a learning uh, uh, time for me there to to be able to instead of writing a three or four minute song you're writing a, a 20 uh, 27 and a 57 or whatever second song with someone else's ideas so it was a good learning time but we also did a lot of music like uh, blues and uh, jazz mobile is a real colorful town you know port city all different kind of music there and um, uh, traditional country and and uh, um, uh, we do stuff for America's Junior Miss, and we, so we recorded all kind of things. And 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 I was the uh, uh, piano player, and really just a staff keyboard player at that time. And Jerry Powell was the owner of the studio, and um, Jerry and I did a lot of songwriting together. He wrote with with um, Muscle Shoals and music, and with he was on Epic Records and, uh, mm -hmm. and out of Nashville, and did a lot of stuff with Tree. So he was the one that introduced me to some of those guys early on, like Bobby Braddock and Harlan Howard and all the great country writers. Uh, uh, I met all them through Jerry and the Muscle Shoals guys, and and, uh, and we'd go up there when they were, the Eagles would be there, or, or Levon Helms, a lot, a lot of uh, different artists, and of course they did all the, you know, all different styles. And Jerry and I, um, so we, we just did a lot of songwriting together. And so, uh, it was during that time that I was playing in a gospel. I always played in a group. It seemed like since I was about 17, I played in a gospel group. And so I would squeeze that in between college and I also tuned pianos. It was a family trade. And so uh, between tuning and studio work and school, I would play in a quartet. So I played from the time I was probably 17 or 18 uh, in different groups, and I played in one group five or six years called the Masters Quartet. Had Billy Todd, used to be with the Florida Boys. Mm 
Oh, okay. And, yeah, I'm uh, not familiar with the name, but I know. I know. Yeah, Billy. and they were a great group, and had they, we also had George Forbes that was the tenor singer at one time for the Dixie Echoes, and uh, had uh, had just uh, four great singers in the group, and one of the best groups I ever, I ever played for. And yet, you know, they were more regional, but they were all seasoned singers and just great voices. Mm -hmm. And during that time, we had played with the Florida Boys uh, on a couple of concerts. So Les yeah. had heard me heard me play piano there, and he called me up one day and said that Daryl Stewart, uh, a lot of people know him as Red Sox, but Daryl <laughs> yeah. had, had been um, was sick, and Les wanted to know if he could hire me to come play piano for a couple of weeks. So he flew me, I think, uh, flew into Orlando, Florida to meet up with the bus and travel with them a couple of weeks. And then about six months later, he did. He called me again, said, can you work your schedule around and meet us? And I did a few more dates and we did PTL when it was going strong. Uh, we did a couple yeah. uh, TV things. And anyway, during that time, he said, well, can I just hire you as a backup piano player? Because Daryl was, uh, uh, you know, he was sick a lot during that time. And so we worked it out. And I could still could do some studio work, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or whatever. And mm -hmm. so I, I traveled. They, so they hired me, uh, Miles, as a backup piano player. And then Daryl was never sick again. And, <laughs> and, but I was still back up piano, but a lot of people didn't know that because they started me out on bass, and they're like, "Will you play guitar?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I've got one at home. Well, well, you know, bring it." And a little later on, uh, Buddy Lyle's bass singer, he asked, "Do you play banjo?" And I said, "Well, not really, not." Well, bring it. People like banjo, and and so it ended. <laughs> it ended up, and you know, I, I started bringing a, I uh, I got a, a uk I mean, a, a mandolin, and started playing a harmonica and stuff, and. So I ended up being known for over nine years with the Florida Boys uh, as an instrumentalist, and it ended up, you know, getting the jam session up at NQC. And so a lot of people would think of me as a picker, you know, because I'd oh yeah uh, I'd do the guitar and, and stuff and dobro I, I would take on the road. But really, and I, I mean, was a do, do you? I was are, a piano player. <laughs> well, are you self-taught on all of all of those yeah. instruments? Yeah. Uh, wow! Now I did oh, have that's... I did have music and I pl I played horns in in the band, so I had you know some music there and was some reading there. But as far as piano and then the stringed instruments of self taught, so but but I guess I say all that say I kind of confused everyone because <laughs> a lot of people still I, even you know this many years you know I've been out here whatever forty years or something I don't know a long time, but even at this. Uh, stage in my life I still have friends who'll come up and go they'll come out to a concert or, or something and I do some piano styles and they'll go I didn't know you played piano <laughs> and I'm like going <laughs> that was totally you know my instrument you know but they yeah. maybe had seen me for just with the Florida Boys now I did play piano for a year uh, after I left the Florida Boys with the Kingsman Quartet I was going to um, say I thought there was a stand in there with them I wasn't sure how yeah, long it was yeah I, I was with them a year and uh Tim Sir was with him at the time, and Tim and I are real good friends. And, and that oh, was okay. one okay. thing that, one reason I was really looking forward to it. I mean, the Kingsman had a, always had a great band, and, and we got Band of the Year that year. and had Just had a fun time, you know, musically, had, had a, 
a, a great band, and, and so that, that, was, that was a lot of fun. Um, and mm-hmm. then um, Tim, of course, is with the uh, uh, Bal- uh, with Balsam Range now that's just doing an extraordinary job in bluegrass, and they mix in some gospel too, but just a fantastic. They've been entertained of the year a few times. Tim's a great guy. Um, so then after that, while I was uh, during the quick stint, um, well, of the time with... Um, with the uh, Kingsman, I'd actually met my, my my wife, Mary Alice. We actually met while I was playing with the Florida Boys. We were friends for about five years before we uh, got married and, uh, you know, even started dating. We were friends for five years. I met her um, during the time of Florida Boys. She was singing in a group. I was playing in a group. And then the, when I was with the Kingsman was when Mary Alice and I actually got married. And then, so a year later, I, uh, Jake Hess had offered me a great job. So uh, I went with Jake and played piano with my childhood hero, which is always a neat thing. Jake, Jake was a, just such a great guy, so much fun to travel with him. So we went on the Gaither tour during kind of the height of the Gaither tapings and the height of their concerts. They were doing, you know, oh, goodness, and during yeah. that time, they were filling up, I mean, the largest auditoriums and country 25 30,000 a lot of them are 20 22 24,000 but it filled them up and sometimes they go places and do matinees and you know uh, uh bill did a really great thing there and, and uh that was kind of right at the peak of all of it and so it was a lot of fun uh uh like i said uh, jake was so much fun to travel with and such a wealth of knowledge and it was fun talking about the early days and statesman days and old stories and hank williams senior and different ones and, and just hearing some of the old stories of the statesmen going around and the, their, their western album they cut and kind of the things behind the scene and old jd sumner stories so so i had a i had a blast just riding on the on the bus talking to him about about the history of of, of gospel music and then my wife and i we started singing uh, together she's a great singer and uh, we uh, signed it with Crossroads Records, and we cut a few albums there together, and I had a great time uh, traveling uh, with my best friend, which is, happens to be my wife, which is, you know, you're always blessed if you marry someone that you not only love, but you like also, and so oh, yeah. we, we had a great time, and of course, um, I just want to go ahead. You oh, say? I was just going to say I'm blessed that way as well. Oh, that that is great, Miles, and, and uh how many children do you have? We have a two-year-old and one-year-old twins. <laughs> so, <laughs> so basically so, triplets. So, so neither one of you have slept for three years, right, is what you're saying. Uh, well, people ask when the twins were first born, you know, they said, are y'all getting any sleep? I said, yes, sometimes when I sneeze, I blink. Yes, right, just a, a slow blink, and, that, and that's it, yeah. Um, and uh, we have two daughters, and they're now 17 and 16. So, I'm Oh, now that makes me feel old, because I remember when y'all hauled them out on, on stage <laughs> in a carrier, you know. Yeah, they, they were. Uh, uh, so t- t- time just has a way of keep on. Time keeps on ticking, ticking, and uh, um, it keeps on clicking. And so then when our first daughter was born, Gabrielle, our second daughter we adopted, she was a six and a half when we adopted her oh, okay. um, so they're seven months apart but when gabrielle was born that's when you're thinking of it she would go to i've had her up on uh 
jam session and a couple different things that, you know, uh, bring her out. And uh, she is, uh, when, but when she came along, Mary Alice called to be a full-time mama and she came off the road and, uh -huh. and we were already uh, doing some comedy. You know, I'd, I'd done comedy with the Florida Boys and- I was gonna say, bit, I kind of felt like, yeah. uh, I'm just curious, did Daryl Stewart influence you in any way getting you to do that or did were no. you already of that uh, persuasion? Well, I was already doing comedy. I was kind of the class clown, you know, growing up. You know, I was, uh -huh. I was bashful like a lot of comedians, but I can't. Now, Daryl wasn't bashful. You know, I was bashful a lot of times off the stage, and I've, I've, uh, I've overcome most of that. But uh, I would well, say Daryl for very years, well. I could, uh, Daryl for years, I, I he couldn't be bashful. He was always flashing people. Yeah, if, you know, and, and if for people that that don't know Daryl, he flashed his red socks. So, yeah, that's <laughs> right. Flashed his red socks, and um, no, I, uh, actually, Daryl been you know doing comedy with him all along. Uh, I was my influences were like Red Skelton and uh, mm, uh, yeah, big big uh, fan. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, Jack Benny with that slow turn, and of course, all of us well. loved Don Knotts. I, mm -hmm. I I got to meet Don Knotts one time. That was a uh, oh, that was a wow. big big plus for me. You know, I've been forced to meet most of my heroes like Ray Charles and and Don Knotts and and travel with Jake and Bill Monroe and Earl Scruggs. A lot of my childhood heroes I got to meet. That was it's not I it's especially nice if you really were influenced by someone and then you meet them and they're still nice. That that that's always great. But 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 but, yeah. but back but back to the comedy portion of it. Um, uh, those guys, uh, you know, Red Skelton was a big influence to me. So when I uh, joined the Florida Boys, I knew Daryl, you know, was their comedian. Well, um, so I wasn't going to butt in there. But Les loved to have fun, and, like, I hadn't been with him very long. Um, and they would do a song with Daryl doing This Heart of Mine. It was like a Daryl would cut up on it and kind of holler and scare the tenor singer a little bit. And... Les told me one night, he said, now I want you to do This Heart of Mine with Daryl. You sing along, sing like the baritone part or whatever. You sing along with it. And then he said, and, and cut up with it and have fun with it. And I'm like, well, uh, Daryl does comedy there. He's like, no, 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 you cut up too. And I'm like, are you sure? He's, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, okay. So, so Daryl and I both kind of were doing that together. And then Buddy Lyle started calling me up when he asked me to bring a banjo to do a little portion and they'd have me do a, a solo on the banjo. But before that would start, Buddy would cut up with me. So, uh, you know, it, it was kind of unusual in a way if, you, if you're really going to analyze it, Miles, to go, you have a comedian, most, you just don't hardly ever see a group or see anyone have two. You know, you have, usually oh, yeah. there's, there's one comedian, there's one straight person. You know, there was always George Johnson, there was Glenn, and George was, was, doing the, you know, the comedy. Um, but, but then, you know, when you turn around and you really analyze it too, you go, but, but George didn't hog the comedy. He allowed then uh, uh, Roger Bennett to go ahead oh, yeah. and, and do stuff. And then he would kind of back off. And so, you know, I, you know, when, when, whenever Daryl was doing his comedy, then I would, you know, you'd back off. And, and, and so, it was 
it was kind of kind of a little strange deal, but but it, but it all worked out, and we kind of had our own style. Yeah. Oh so, yeah, and and one thing that I, I knew there was a dynamic that went on somehow because, um, and and I don't, I'm sure you remember this, but I didn't. I don't know how long it's been since you heard it referenced, but I have a cassette of you and Daryl all dressed up in these funny outfits. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, in fact, yep. we, we cut that at Southern Sound Studio, and, and uh, <laughs> you don't have somebody come up and want to uh, get an instrumental something, and they had, they'd ask me, do you want an instrumental something? You know, do you have a something playing different instruments? Well, you know, well, I respected Daryl as the piano player, you know, although piano was my main instrument. He was a part owner. He had... You know, he had, you know had all those years there, and I respected him. Well, I could cut a, a, a tape, but I didn't want to have my own tape. I was like, hey, Daryl, why don't we do something together? You do some piano, and I'll do some instruments, you know, and, and then, then I wouldn't be playing piano. I wouldn't be, you know what I mean? It would be a, a total respect to him. I wouldn't be selling a solo project of instru instrumentation and leaving him out. So, like, so we ended up cutting two or possibly three, two I know of instrumental things together, had a great time, and then we just would, whatever the profits were, we, we, we'd split it. So worked out great. Well, just uh, real quick, uh, I mean, a lot of artists, particularly ones that lean more toward the entertainment side of things, uh, just naturally have personas that they fall into on stage. Yeah, but that may right. not be true at home. So if we had Mary Alice on the line, how would she describe <laughs> you at home? Ah. <laughs> uh, well, I think she would say that I'm still crazy. I know, I know the the, uh, the girls were. I think she would say that I'm st still crazy. She, she, she often says if she, because uh, I've heard her say it when people interviewed her, she'll say he's a he's a, a natural comedian, which is sweet. But in other words, um, that it doesn't just have to be a a memorized joke, you know. Yeah. And she'll and she will often say. <laughs> that he's like the only person I know, I've heard her say this several times, uh, she'll say, he's the only person I know that lives for something to go wrong. <laughs> like if something happens <laughs> on the stage or the sound goes out, uh, I, I enjoy impromptu things. And, that, and that, that's the truth. I never really noticed it till I heard her say it to, to different people. She'll say, you know, if something goes wrong, he just, I mean, I just see him light up, you know, that that's, you know, what he lives for. But, but I, I enjoy... Uh, uh, real life comedy. You know, I, I enjoy. Uh, that's why I even tell true stories. You know, um, mm -hmm. of maybe having to wear a kilt in Scotland. You know, and or getting on the log ride with my my daughter. And 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 a lot of my comedy stories, the tea room and uh, different stories. Don't sit in my pew. They're all based on or uh, or eighty percent. Even if you change it a little bit to 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 make make the story work. Or where everyone can understand the full, full, mm -hmm. you know, the complete story. Still, uh, if it actually happened to me, I can see it, and I can, yeah, I think I can tell it better than if it's just uh, completely fictional and you're just writing something to be funny. But I love real life. I'll just, I, I live for the moments in the restaurant when something happens and goes wrong, and and then we all can laugh at it instead of being upset over it. You know, so if if you're ever if you're ever there with me and I drop a plate and it hits the floor, we're going for it. It's it's going to be Comedy Central from there on out. Yeah, I, I haven't um, I haven't thought of this in forever, and I hope I can 
can quote it correctly, and I don't know where it came from. I don't know if this is famous or not, but it stuck with me. Uh, somebody said, uh, tragedy is a paper cut. Comedy is someone falling down a manhole. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So. Yeah, absolutely. And and, uh, and and the best humor in the world is someone fell down the manhole because they got a paper cut. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Say, I, I'd like to transition over to your songwriting for just sure. a minute because uh, I know there's a menagerie of people listening, uh, instrumentalists and artists and songwriters. I think of that Roger Miller song, Roses are red, violets are purple, sugar is sweet, and so is maple syrple. So. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I uh, remember when Gabrielle was about, I think about five. She loves songwriting, and she really has a gift for it. I think she was five, Mary Alice could tell us for sure. But a songwriter that we know, a really good, great songwriter, um, we were talking, and I said, well, I said, Gabrielle may end up being a songwriter. Uh, we were at an event. She was standing there beside me. I said, because she loves words. And that songwriter looked at her and said, okay, rhyme orange, which, you know, normally <laughs> everyone would say that's a word you can't rhyme, rhyme orange. And, and, that, and the writer went back to talking to me, and I thought, wow, that's a tough assignment for a five-year-old. And, and then she looked up and she said, well, it's not a pure rhyme, but it's a false rhyme, but porridge and orange. <laughs> and, and the guy said, well, maybe she is going to be a writer. <laughs> I wouldn't yeah, have thought, of, I don't think I knew what porridge was when I was five. All I knew was, was grits. But anyway. Well, having had porridge one time, I think porridge <laughs> is an amalgamation of two words, pour and Putrid uh, and, and, and sludge, you know, something like that. Yeah, right. <laughs> Porridge. That's why it was in all of those Charles Dickens, Dickens stories because it is. It shouldn't be eaten. It, it's not fit for consumption. <laughs> well, I'd have to say if I'm if I'm narrowing it down, and I'm sure I don't know near all of the songs that you've written, but uh, one of my favorites is uh, one the Kingdom Airs recorded. I've been rescued. Oh, uh, okay. That was. Uh, I just love the, the the rhymes and the alliteration. Uh, all throughout that song, but what would you say is your favorite song you've ever written? Well, uh, I would say, hmm, that's really hard to say. Uh, as different songs mean different things to you. I would say the song that has been recorded the most would be uh, uh, the cathedral song, uh, an old convention song. We used to come from miles around. Oh, yeah, I did not it's even know you wrote true. that one. Yeah. I did not even know that. I, and, the, and the cathedrals themselves, they cut it several times. They did it on, I don't know, maybe three or four Gaither videos, but then they, they put it on the a first record on the Prestige album. Then they did something so they could honor convention. The song itself inspired Glenn and George to go ahead and do like a double album called an old convention song. I've, so, I've so, got that I've yeah. got that album. It's, so it's so they had it with like nineteen other convention songs. But then they put it on like Best of and uh, j just uh, recorded several different times. And then a lot of other groups cut it too, like a lot of quartets like uh, um, Mark uh, I wanna say Quartet. Triumphant, uh, yeah. Triumphant uh, Blackwoods, uh, Ernie Haas Signature Sound did it. Uh, a few years back, did a great job of it, and uh, uh, so yeah, it's been been cut by a lot of different quartets too. But, oh goodness, um, and that was that was one I always liked to. I, I never would skip it, you know, as one of those songs. So that, that's very great, cool. I didn't great. know you wrote that. 
Yeah, now, now back to uh, I've Been Rescued. That one was uh, co-written with my good buddy. Uh, 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 that we, We've written several songs together, uh, Rodney Griffin. And so oh, Rod, okay, okay. Rodney and I wrote that one, and and we wrote, uh, let's see, together, Rodney and I wrote um, My Favorite Place that Greater Vision did, and we wrote okay. Uh, okay, I know that one that was up for Song of the Year. Back when Triumphant was, see, they were originally Integrity, correct? They were, yes. That's, before they were, mm-hmm. I think that because of the Integrity Music Group, they had to change their name. But during really? The time, I didn't know why they yeah. but, but during the time that they were Integrity, uh, Rodney and I wrote for them, uh, uh, let's see, uh, I Bring You Forgiveness. Oh, Which okay. was a, 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 a song of the year, but Rodney and I have written several songs together. He's a well, this is, this is mental gymnastics. Uh, yes, I'm having for, to think back here a few I'm, years. You well, know, I, I started DJing when I was 15 years old at a, at a station here in Jacksonville, Texas, and um, it covered the you know the whole portion of East Texas, and it was uh, Solid Gospel Saturday. And I would, um, anyway, I'd be playing all these songs, and it's been years since I've, you know, had to think yeah. of some of that. But yeah, I, it's what, what? trivia. Well, you know, Miles, I, I've I've um, I've reached a point in my life that if someone says, "Tell me songs you've written," uh, or like if you know, I know that they're into gospel music and they're just strictly talking gospel songs or southern gospel songs, and they say, "Tell me songs you've written," I look at them, you know, according to how old they are. If they're if they're sixty or seventy or fifty, and say. Tell me songs you've written. I start naming songs by Blackwoods or the Spear family or cathedrals, uh-huh. you know. And if they're <laughs> like uh, 30 years old or under, then I start, you know, I start going uh, Ernie Haas or, you know, or <laughs> Greater Vision or Karen Peck. And, you know, I go go with the, the younger groups. <laughs> How many have you written? I really, I really don't know, Miles. Uh, uh, I'm not well, sure. It, uh, would you say dozens or hundreds? I, I would probably. I'm going to guess. I have. I don't know. Maybe log through BMI, hundred to two hundred. I'm, I'm not really sure. But I pro- mm-hmm. I, I've, I've, I've written a, a few hundred probably over, over the years. Yeah. And what ratio of comedy versus serious? Would you say? Mostly serious, mostly serious. But yep. I, I'll, I save the the crazy ones for myself because I think the I think the IQ of a song should match the IQ of the singer. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, I, I break I, that rule constantly. So <laughs> I slowed down quite a bit when my daughter was born, and yeah. I, I wrote like a don't we in all. The, and well, it changes everything, you know, and uh, back to that lack of sleep, but just wanting to be there, you know, and uh, especially when I go out on the road and come home and just wanted to, to be with, with my family and mm-hmm. not load up in the car and head to uh, Nashville. And, of course, you know, I, we, I grew up in a time when you couldn't Skype and you couldn't uh, <laughs> That's right. Zoom and... and you know, I'd come in off the road with the Florida boys, and I had three days home, and I was single, and jump in my car and drive all the way from from Dynamobile all the way to Nashville, and sometimes just have time to write two songs, jump back in the car and drive, you know, whatever it was, I forget now, maybe seven hours, whatever, drive all the way back home, and 
and pick up the laundry and drive back over to Pensacola and jump <laughs> on the bus and take off. And, and if you wanted to co-write, you know, if I wanted to co-write with, at, you know, I was doing a lot of writing for Benson at that time, but if I wanted to co-write with, with Joel Lindsay or Ronnie Henson or, you know, if I was going to co-write with some really great writers, Niles Borup and Tim Green and I would write during that time and different ones. But if you wanted to do it, uh, there was no such thing as Skype. You had to get in the car and travel a long ways and uh, yeah. to, to, to work it all in. And so uh, uh, well, we're, we're real fortunate now that, you know, you can, you, it's still fun. I think the energy is still more when you can write together uh, in person, but I still can, can Skype and, and write with somebody in, in Nashville you know, sitting on my porch. Yeah, well, the way you were describing the early years, uh, you know, it, I think a good dis description of, uh, of a, a fledgling gospel artist is uh, someone who puts $5,000 worth of equipment into a $500 car to do a $50 gig. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and, and sell one five dollar eight track. That's right. uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But but you know, uh, when you love music, and 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 the bottom line is too. You know, uh, like I said, I, I love so many different genres. But but you know, my, my heart is gospel for one main reason. It's it's the uh, and uh, you know it's it, it's the good it's the good news. I I, I love. Uh, clean music of, of different styles, you know, and I, I love uh, uh, so many. I, I love classical. I, I love you know uh, '40s music, and I love somewhere over the rainbow, you know, and I love different styles, and I love chords. But but the bottom line is is that the world is hurting, and we have the greatest story of all, and and I know that through comedy I can go places that would never have me as a gospel musician or a gospel singer. So if I can get my foot in the door, and then at some point I can tell them about real joy that I found in Jesus, that's the the uh, bottom line. For, uh, so it, that's it's right. all good. It's 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 all good. Well, is it harder to write something funny or something serious? You know, probably people listening to this will think that I've lost my mind, um, but it's harder overall i don't think just for myself I'll, I'll see if i can back this up by someone who's well known for comedy songs but harder to write comedy songs i, um, I had a feeling because mm -hmm. there's you know uh, you, you have to have that element of nuance mm -hmm. uh, and that's not to say that you know you can't nuance and 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 make the gospel you know, presentation beautiful and and very careful and all that, but right. that's, that's not what I'm saying at all. But there is a a trick of the trade, right? Uh, Th there's that, an element of yes, right. There's an element of creativity that has to really be stretched. Um, uh, I had uh, on the Music City show we've done it's produced by Scott Godsey. We we've done seven seasons there, and you know we we would have. All the best in gospel from uh, Ernie Haas and uh, you know Booth Brothers and mm -hmm. and uh, Hoppers and on and on and on and on and on. But then we've had country like uh, uh, had Aaron Tippin on there and uh, um, Bluegrass and Rhonda Vincent and uh, had uh, Oak Ridge Boys and, and mm -hmm. 
so many different country groups. Well, one of the seg- one of the shows we did was uh, Funny Man Ray Stevens. Well, in my opinion, no one is a better uh, uh, better voice or to listen to as far as writing comedy than Ray. Uh, he's outsold oh, yeah. everyone, you know. And 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 now they say as far as projects that that um, that uh, th- there's a couple of artists that have have passed as far as just CD sales or, or you know record sales. Yeah. But 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 as far as comedy songs, he he he's by far number one. And mm. and he and and we got around to that subject when I was interviewing him, and of course he wrote such beautiful songs as "Everything Is Beautiful" and it's mm-hmm. all that. And he did that great recording of a of Misty, uh, classic song "Look at Me." It had the banjo in it, but it was just phenomenal with all the. Uh, and he's you know written so many serious songs for other people. Just a great writer, but he said comedy was definitely harder. Um, and part of it is this. If I want to write a song, let me see if I can explain it this way. If I want to write a song uh, such as Ronnie Henson's classic, The Lighthouse, which is celebrating 50 years this year, Ronnie could sit there and, 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 and what a classic, what a great song. I mean, phenomenal. Um, but he can, can take an idea of, you know, Jesus is the light. He can take an idea of The Lighthouse and and write that, and then if it's a well-written song, which it is, when he wrote it, uh, he can go with it any way he wants to, and then every believer can just go, ah, Jesus is that lighthouse that was shining that light on me. You see, mm-hmm. so so whether you are Baptist, Methodist, uh, Pentecostal, you can just universally go. Jesus is the lighthouse. You know, he is because the Bible already said he's the light. But if you're writing comedy, it's a strange bird because we have these truths in the Bible that we can write about. But when you're writing comedy, you're trying to reach that person that has dry wit, that person that that likes silly comedy, that person that doesn't like comedy that much, that person who is 70 years old and grew up on George Burns, that, <laughs> that person who is 25 years Crazy. old, that is, uh, you know, that person who's 40 or 50 who's listen, listening to uh, comedian card, you know, comedy or whatever, you know, listening uh to, to something on Netflix. So you have this plethora of styles of comedy mm-hmm. but, uh, because that's why people, when they watch movies, some, some people want a silly movie, some like the dry humor. So, yep. You know, uh, you have all of these different styles. Some want the cutting humor. They want the Don Rickles stuff. Oh, well, yeah. So, well, well, sarcasm, yeah. dark humor, right. and yeah, know, and stick. So, some people, that's all they like. Well, sometimes you're trying to write a story then. You're trying to put a lighthouse story. You're trying to get a theme that you're writing about coffee or you're writing about mercurochrome or you're writing about, you know, uh, if, uh, you know, if Ray Stevens is writing about, you know, uh, uh, Shriners or something. But you're trying to have a little element of you've got to write a good song, but you've got to have internal rhyming. 
they've got to be able to see the picture, but you're trying to reach different different ages. So if that makes any yeah. sense, it's oh, no, just I, I, it's, it's just a it's a it's a real crazy beast that a lot of people think if they write it just where it's funny to them, but it's not necessarily that it's that it's funny to you as a writer. Is it going to be funny to an audience of thirty year old, a fifty year old, and a seventy year old? And yeah, that's kind yeah. of the goal. And that's not, and you know, and sometimes the ten year old. You know, if I, if I see the youth group and they're laughing, but I look over and I see some seniors in the back and they're laughing, then I know that song is working as a comedy song. It's not even whether I think it's hilariously funny or not. Is it working for the audience? And so it's. Yeah. It, 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 it's tricky. Well, it's, you know, kind of using an, an a, uh, analogy, you know, trying to explain to people who, who don't have to use comedy on stage, which is a pretty high-pressure uh, thing. I mean, how, how do you use humor? What, like, if you had to liken it to a tool, is it, is it a hammer? Is it a meat tenderizer? A scalpel? Is it a rubber chicken? I mean, <laughs> well, I, think, I think every comedy has a rubber chicken in it somewhere. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. But but you know, um, now this is going to sound really like I'm trying to be uh, uh, deep and philosophical and spiritual and all those things, but I'm not because I've actually thought about that many times. That's a great question you're asking. It's a great question, um, but. To me, I think for a lot of secular comedians, and this is not negative at all, it's their job. For secular comedians, the number one thing is for your audience to have a great time, for your audience to laugh. If they're laughing, it's working, okay? Yeah. And, and, and they hone that skill, and it is a skill to it. For me, I want them to laugh, I, but there's a deeper element. If I'm doing a concert at a church, and I'm at a youth group, I'm at a... Uh, pastor's appreciation. I'm at a, uh, you know, I'm at a homecoming. I'm, I'm at anything. If it's, I'm at a church group or even any, any type of concert, but especially like um, the spiritual element to it. To me, comedy for me is a sledgehammer because mm. I believe that most people, and this is. This is people who go to church, people who know the Lord. Most people have built a safe wall around them. Most people are fairly insecure. Most people still carry around insecurities, Miles, from their childhood when they were teens, something that happened to them when they were bullied, when they were tragically hurt by someone, um, when they used to laugh all the time, and now they hold that laughter in. And they convince themselves, well, I just don't, I'm just a person that doesn't laugh very much. Well, they used to when they were a toddler. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So if we all laughed, you know, uncontrollably at one time, and now we no longer laugh, where did our laughter go to? Yeah, and, absolutely. And, yeah. and so many times we don't cast those cares, as it says in Peter, we, we, we carry the burdens around with us. So even though we can know the Lord, we still have a responsibility to let go of that junk. So we build these walls where if everyone else is laughing, you can see people glancing, those maybe that have a laughter wall up, they're glancing to see, should I laugh, is it safe? 
Other people, you know, have the bashfulness wall they built up. Other people have an insecurity wall or they don't feel good about themselves or they don't feel worthy. But yet, if we know Christ, we're children of the Most High God. So when I get up there, what I want to do is I want to get that sledgehammer and through mm -hmm. laughter, get them to where they quit thinking about whether they should laugh or not. They just start laughing. And when I see that person really start laughing and see that stress start being released because I didn't come up with laughter. No comedian came up with it. It was already, joy was already in the heavenlies before we were ever, you know, before there was a planet Earth. Joy yeah. came from God. And all good things come from Him, the Father of life. And so right. when, that, when that wall comes down, then a lot of times I'll say within my spirit, because I've already prayed before the concert, but I'll say in my spirit a lot of times during a concert, even while I'm doing crazy stuff and just having fun, all clean comedy, not cutting on anyone, having fun, letting them laugh, knocking down that wall, I'm saying, Holy Spirit, you do your job. Draw them unto the cross. Because at the end of the service, they have time then to let go of that junk during a time of prayer or an altar call or whatever, how that concert may lead, they have a time to let go of it. And that wall is down. And then Holy Spirit can do what none of us can do. And you, you, you know that, Miles. You could sing one song or sing five million songs. The Holy Spirit is the one that draws. We oh, present that's, that's the gospel. Absolutely right. You know, we've been called to go and tell in different ways. And he also called us to be fishers of men and that's what comedy is for me and and so great question but it's a sledgehammer for me yeah yeah i, I can see that and i think uh, i think different comedians employ uh it differently and and have different giftings but at the same time i think uh, in some ways certain jokes are sledgehammers and certain jokes are scalpels yeah you know it's like they yep. kind of do a surgery i think uh, i think i think satirical Comedy, comedy is very much more a scalpel in that you know you, you're you're saying something in a very funny way, but you're highlighting a, a hypocrisy or an ignorance or you know something that people haven't thought through. And so, exactly, I think uh, I think it's it's a multifunctional tool, and I, I am just totally enamored by it and the different comedians that I've heard and um, and I and I you know. Uh, the Bible says a merry heart does good like a medicine. And this may seem like an obvious answer to some, and uh, but I think it helps to think through these things. But how do we discern between what we can laugh at and what we should not laugh at? Great question. Um, you know, I, I think, first of all, um, you, you know, I have to be careful if I say when we talk about the cutting humor, sarcastic humor, Mm -hmm. um, and definitely uh, cleanliness, you know, once again, not trying to sound holy, but holier than thou, but <laughs> I believe as Christians, we definitely should base our, uh, if, if anyone should try to base our lives on the Bible, it should be believers. And, and a lot of people go, well, you know, we need to keep it real, but the Bible also says for us uh, to be holy. And I oh, believe yeah, don't let corrupt be, communication proceed out of your mouth. You know exactly, and, 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 and that is 
That's a great, 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 great uh, uh, scripture. And yet we will kind of soften. Well, it's a different age. Well, no, uh, cleanliness, you know, and, 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 and if we've offended somebody, then that's wrong. We've been called to be, in, to be encouragers, and uh, we've been called to love. So I think, um, uh, I think that, that, that in so many ways, everything that is pure, everything that God created, everything, uh, you know, Satan wants to, and I hardly ever even speak of Satan, because I, I don't want to give him, quote, any air time. But, <laughs> but, but we all know that everything that is good, everything that was created in the heavenlies, everything that God is about, everything that the Bible mentions, uh, Satan wants to have a counterfeit to that and wants to twist it, whether it's, mm-hmm. whether it's music, whether it's art, whether uh, uh, it, 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 it's just any, you can just name any subject, uh, you can take it and go the wrong way with it, and you can do good with it, or you can do evil with it. And absolutely. so, 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 I believe that that's absolutely true. That's why it's such a great question. It can absolutely be true. It can be subtle, and yet it can be part of comedy. So, oh, such, and man, man will take good things and mess it up. I mean, I love meat, but look what they've done with spam. You know, it's just... <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. I mean, we can mess up anything. Uh, uh, so, so uh, uh, you know, but but comedy doesn't have to be off color. And even when we go, well, you know, it can just be a, you know, it's not really off color. It's just a little gray, or it's just a little edgy, or it's a little off white. And I go, it it, it doesn't have to be. Comedy can be completely clean and be completely funny without beating up someone else or being off color. I I want to be able. To, uh, uh, and that doesn't mean that it's easy, but I want to be able to stand before uh, a youth group and make them laugh and it be completely clean and be able to turn around and use some of that same humor to a senior group, turn around and do it to a middle school. If you can do it and make them yeah. laugh and it be crystal clean, then I, I think, you know, uh, oh, that, and, and that, just, that, uh, that's the goal. Just to be clear, when I was talking about, you know, sarcastic humor uh, it, and it being you know, a scalpel and that it yeah. cuts, I just, I don't mean that it's it's berating anybody, but when we can laugh at something about ourselves and see right. faults and see imperfections, I mean, the way that Jesus used humor, I think is uh, is very interesting. You know, it's like some things in the, in the, our, you know, American context, we don't see it as funny. Right. But one one example that first comes to my mind is Jesus talking about, you know, uh, a camel going through the eye of a needle. You know, it's like, <laughs> that's a funny picture. I don't care who you are. I mean, what, how are you exactly going to do that? You start with the tail, try to thread it, and then pull? I mean, <laughs> do you it's... Get a, do you get a lot of goat gre- grease and put it on the sides uh, yeah. of the camel <laughs> with, with a large rope? And uh, Yeah, uh, and, and, and see, we also... I think sometimes we have missed it um, with, you know, we know the scripture that is good like a medicine, but yet we don't talk about very much like blessed, you know, the Beatitudes that is happy as the man, happy as the person. And Mm -hmm. the Bible is full, the New Testament especially, but is full of joy. And he said that he was going to come to give us life and life more abundantly and, and that we were to be as, as those children when he said, you know, basically 
uh, you know, when he was saying some of those little children coming to me, uh, I don't believe that those children were just totally attracted to Jesus because he was Jesus. They didn't know. They were just like saying this great teacher was coming into town. Why were they so attracted? I personally believe uh, because Jesus was so full of love, I believe he was just full of joy. And, you know, children, uh, a four-year-old, a six-year-old, they're not going to want to go around adult they don't know if something is not happening that's just just wonderful. You know, when that oh, person yeah. can look over that kid and wink at them and smile and rub the top of their head and do something and do a little trick, you know, with your hand and making something, something to engage them. A child wants to go to an adult that is paying attention to that child. They saw that he cared about them. They saw joy in him. They saw, they saw, you know, that he was connecting with them. And I, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if he wasn't cutting up with them. You know, they wanted to be oh, with him. Yeah. And that's why he's saying, if you're not like those children, uh, and a lot of times we try to over-spiritualize that and go, well, because children, you know, they trust, and children just have blind faith, and children just, you know, forgive easily. Well, children also laugh a lot. Children are also play a lot, and children are also in the moment a lot. And so uh, that is such a huge, uh, a, a huge statement that, that, that Jesus made, and... Uh, uh, yeah, it's that's it, it, great. That's great, Miles. Yeah. Um, well, as as we wrap up our, our time before the lightning round, I wanted to ask you a kind of a time time sensitive question, but yet I think it's pertinent for even somebody listening on down the line. Um, the world of COVID has presented a whole new <laughs> realm of challenges that we could have never foreseen i mean it's um i mean for for any live performance it's like uh, they talk about right now there's still 10 percent of people unemployed well it seems like all of them must be musicians and <laughs> yeah, artists yeah. because i well, mean i think i think we know personally everyone in that 10 percent <laughs> uh, yeah it seems it's all way. of our friends including us we're all basically uh, uh not, not working right now, waiting for things to open up. Yeah. Yeah, and I I don't consider myself a comedian in any respect. I mean, I I can be funny at times, and I know some things that work with audiences. But, you know, I see these people doing, you know, online uh, Facebook Live events and stuff. But in my mind, humor is probably the hardest thing to convey in a live stream. I mean, it's like you can get up and you can get your guitar and you can sing, you can do a song, you can tell a story, you can try to be inspirational, but whenever it comes to humor, I can't imagine a live stream without an audience, Right. you know, right. A, yeah. a, you know a comedian doing anything. And, and so, you know, I've kind of veered away from uh, doing anything live. I've done a couple of live concerts, the, the few events that we have been able to do, uh, but that's with an audience there, at least a small audience, you know, and, yeah. and a lot of what I do, you know, is not comedy, but it is a, an element of entertainment and showmanship. I do the one-man quartet stuff, and, 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 I, and that's, you know, just part of what I do, and, you know, to think about sitting up in my living room and doing that without the audience to play off of, 
is just nightmarish to me. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. and one thing that I've noticed, whether it comes to funny or, or, or serious, an audience, uh, I would rather have 30 people packed into a small area than have 1,000 people spread out over a 10,000-seat auditorium. I right. mean, a lot of people don't understand that, but that's exactly how I feel because, um, you know, we feed off of each other. Right. And if exactly. we feel, if you're hearing yourself laugh or you're hearing yourself applaud, um, you know, and you feel isolated, you're not going to respond the way you do if somebody's shoulder is up against your shoulder and somebody's in front of you and somebody's behind you. It's, it's an interesting psychological thing to me and I'd love to read a book or hear a uh, you know a talk on that it's just something that I observe observe but why mm -hmm. why is that do you have any thoughts or any, any yeah. words of experience well I'm actually in the process of uh, during a lot of this downtime right now I'm, I'm writing a book and one of the chapters is about uh, about laughter and uh -huh. uh, uh and it's called 400 to 14 and it's about the fact that as children you know uh we uh, on average, laugh around 400 times a day. As adults, about 14 times a day. And it's about what has happened to our laughter. And as far as the everyone sitting close or, or, or packed, it, you know, uh, uh, we feel comfort in numbers. That's not only the performer, uh, but but it's the audience. If because as we were talking earlier with the sledgehammer. Uh, question uh, the fact that if you are sitting by yourself most people don't laugh out loud isn't it interesting that people will be at a concert maybe and la once everyone is laughing and they'll laugh out really loud but, oh, if yeah. you, but if you told that joke if you told the exact same joke the exact same delivery or at the water cooler at work or something. Right. <laughs> or, or you did it online. You did it from your living room. And they were sitting in a chair at home with no one around, not even wondering, well, is anyone going to think I'm silly? Let's just pretend mm -hmm. like they're in the chair by themselves with no one else in the, in the house. Yep. And you did the joke with the exact same joke, exact same delivery. Would they laugh out loud and for as long as they would in a room because that, that's a because pet peeve of mine feel, how often do we text lol and the, and and yet there wasn't even a smile <laughs> that cracked across our face you know right right so the fact of the matter is part of our laughter is because we were meant to be together we are mm -hmm. uh we, we were meant to have that fellowship we were called together as a body and the church is when we when we gather uh, uh together as believers um there is, there is a, a connection that happens, and that energy, whether we analyze it or not, it is there. And, and how many times have we, you know, how many times have, have you or I been at a concert and someone else's laughter gets us tickled? You know, we start laughing because their laughter is infectious, and we, we all feed off of each other. So, uh, so when you when you do those Facebook Live or you know you, you we do these uh, online events that people are doing, it, um, uh, comedy is is a totally different thing, and uh, 
and you're not going to have that energy. And a lot of times, it's why dry wit or facial expressions almost work better because an actual joke that can be a good joke a lot of times almost falls mm -hmm. flat when there's oh, not, yeah, an, not an audience. And, and uh, so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a, a, a different uh, creature. Uh, I haven't been doing as many things uh, during this time, mainly because, and I've had a lot of people say, yeah, hey, man, we're needing to laugh. And, uh, yeah. uh, but there's so much out there right now until um, I just haven't, Done, done as much, you know. Well, with the on the talking about the laughter in the context of the church and the gathered body and and feeding off one another, I feel like one thing that Southern gospel music in particular brings to the table more than other Christian genres. Um, I, I guess I should other Christian genres go lighter on the joyful aspect of Christianity. Now I may get some flack for that, and and. But if you know the genre of Southern Gospel, you know what I'm talking about. And right. for those of you that don't know it, no, I did not say other genres are joyless. <laughs> right, but, right. but candidly, while I've seen it to be a little excessive in some respects to the point of triteness and just not careful writing, um, you know, just generally speaking, people don't write songs the way they used to. It, and it, it, Southern Gospel does manage to be a distinct presentation to Christianity just kind of thinking through this in, in context of what you just said, you know, I don't present myself as a Southern Gospel artist because of uh, the stigma that goes with it sometimes. Um, right. But wh where do you see Southern Gospel going post-COVID? I mean, what do you think it'll be uh, in, in, in the decade? I mean, is it? do you think it's going to morph eventually into just another branch of contemporary? Is it going to go the way of a, a barbershop? Um I guess my concern is there is there a substantial younger audience that is finding it, um, and and now with that with the absence of concerts and and no real idea of when that's going to come back, mm -hmm. uh, it it's concerning, you know. Right. Well, you know, that's a real that's a, that's a loaded question, and I could have <laughs> I could have friends on both sides of that that would. Um, uh, you know, I, I be careful how I say this, but I want to be uh, very truthful and honest with it. I tell you what, let me take it off of my opinion. Let me go to Jake Hess. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Jake told me, there he was, you know, considered by many, along with James Blackwood too, but considered by many as Mr. Gospel, you know, and there he was, the lead singer for the Statesman Quartet. You can't hardly get any more grassroots than that. Yet at the time when they came out, like there are a lot of group quartets today because the cathedrals, I mean, they were so phenomenal. And I love their music. And yet mm -hmm. they were big fans of the Statesman and did so much of the Statesman music. Yep. Yet the Statesman would talk about uh, the um, uh, music in the 40s and the Sunshine Boys and, and Arnold Hiles and all of that bunch out of Texas and... Uh, hmm. uh, uh, and so everybody had, you know, like every generation talks about the generation before them because that's the one that influenced them. So, so when the Statesman came along, a lot of their records were actually broken over, uh, the DJs would break them because it was like rock and roll. There they were doing Getaway <laughs> jo Jordan and they would that's break funny. their records, right? 
And yet you have groups today that say we refuse to do contemporary or CCM music because we're traditionalists like the statesmen. Well, the statesmen were radical at their time. Well, see, it's all about marketing. Then they came out and they said, we had thousands of broken records. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. We broke thousands of records. And so, but Jake made this statement to me one day, and, and I'm definitely, I'm not against organizations. I think boxes sometimes, as you're saying, I think genres and boxes, sometimes we can limit ourselves. Um, and Jake said, you know, when I was coming along with the Statesmen and the Imperials and all of that classic music they did, he said, we were not Southern Gospel. That didn't happen until after the GMA, which was really basically huh. started by uh, Les Beasley with Florida Boys. Les came up kind of with the original idea of the dove for the dove awards and it was really it was brock and jd sumner and all of them well then the young here's the way i've heard it and uh the when some of the younger groups were part of that they started taking it and running with it and they started having what was considered contemporary music and what was used to be jesus music contemporary music um then all of a sudden they wanted to categorize it because even the early singing news used to have Sandy Patty in it and had, uh, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Larnell Harris and, and the charts would have Dallas Holmes. And then all of a sudden they started making boxes. Oh, yeah, we love and, our boxes. And back to what Jake said, Jake said, I wasn't a Southern Gospel singer. We didn't even call it. We didn't even know there was Southern Gospel. He said it was gospel music. Well, now in um, a lot of gospel music with the Grammys and different things is considered uh, African-American or or more like choir music or it's kind Uh of changed. And so then in the Grammys, you have a lot of times considered roots music or country gospel or roots will be maybe... Uh, a southern gospel group so it's really confusing but er- but everybody kind of likes their boxes so now yeah. we have southern gospel but yet you have triumphant that's doing a lot of music that is uh, a lot of their music is like chain breaker and all is ccm songs but yeah. a lot of people that only listen to southern gospel would consider that a southern gospel song but it's actually you know zach you know so it's really, <laughs> um, so it's a big question you've asked. I'm for all of it. Uh, I love that. Tons of, you know, I, I mean, I triumph at some of my, my favorite groups out there, you know, and, and Ernie mm-hmm. and, and all those guys. Uh, I love their music. I listen to their music. And yet, you know, I can listen to uh, Matthew West has such great songwriting. Uh, I personally believe it makes it easy for the record company to have, you know, or for radio stations to have different boxes. It's probably easy to market different boxes better. But to me, a great song is a great song. Um, and yet God made us all individuals. We feel comfort yeah. back to that, to that. We feel comfort in a room laughing. We feel comfort if we're in our box. So a lot of CCM writers are probably comfortable there, but a lot of songwriters like Tony Wood write for CCM, write 
can write a praise and worship song and can write something for the Booth Brothers. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Tony Wood and I wrote on uh, my last project, which I'll shamelessly throw in a plug here is uh, uh, Living in a Coffee World, and they go to my website or whatever. But, you know, timlovelace.com, I'll shamelessly tell your folks that. But Tony and, the new and I. Album coming out here in a few months, Living in a COVID World. <laughs> living in a COVID World. I'm going to have a new one, yes. And uh, um, the point is, um, Tony can write for Southern Gospel and CCM. Uh, a great song is a great song. Yeah. So what is the future of all of this, Miles? I really don't know. Uh, you know, music constantly changes, and the leaders and um, industry people within those boxes will make decisions that will affect how it is going to be marketed. Um, but I believe there's just one great message, and that's the message of Jesus Christ when it comes to gospel music and many times they overlap what will happen with all that how is it going to open up I'm not really sure um, some people say it could be you know six more months or a year before a concert to open up I really don't know um, I am thankful that we can still listen I know that before COVID uh, that record companies are all saying that CDs and DVDs, physical CDs, are coming to an end, and it will yep. eventually all be uh, downloading, you know, songs and streaming and YouTube. Well, I channels. could, I could, I could wax eloquent on on that <laughs> because I think that is just a travesty and a shame. Because I think, you know, an artist putting out an album, a complete work that you put in, you listen from beginning to end. You get to know it. You know the songs. You know that is that's very much me. I mean, I'm the nerd that reads all the credits, and you know, I want to know who played on it. And um, and the loss of that to streaming is just a shame. You know, and so it's it's a complete reversal where you know back a few decades ago you bought an album or you bought a single, and that was a pretty big investment, and you knew that song inside outside, and right. you know there was a handful of artists that everybody. And now nobody knows anybody. Well, you know, uh, and... uh, you know I, I see kind of pluses and minuses to, to both of it right now. I think it's uh, evolving and evolving quickly. I think a lot of this streaming, Stowtown uh, uh, record that I'm with uh, does such a great job. Uh, uh, Landon Bean, uh, there's I think four different owners, and uh, it's Landon mm -hmm. Bean and uh, Nate Goble and Wayne Hahn and Ernie Haas. And on that roster is Collinsworth. I'm on there, which is totally different because I'm out there doing things outside of gospel too. Uh, but triumphant and uh, a big, big, big variety of groups. But they brought in people from um, Spotify, Pandora, and, and, uh, and, and I see those companies really wanting to do a much better job and I see them paying better than they have been and there are ways now to to advertise groups uh, better and to uh, reach out and market those better uh, the one thing I do see that is really interesting is this um, 
I think there's there's no arguing that if we go to a to a concert and there's 500 people there, there's a thousand people there, whatever the number, and physical sales is better for the artists overall. If you oh, yeah. ha have oh, great yeah. sales that night. However, on the spiritual side, if I can say that, uh, <laughs> we're, we're reaching outside of our box because a lot of a lot of gospel groups and a lot of southern gospel groups, you know, they're, you have annual events, and that, and that's all good, uh, uh, has its purpose, and it's all good. But I see now when I look at uh, Apple Music or I look at where some of my music has gone to in the past week, and you go, oh, uh, it did really good in Sri Lanka. Well, I've mm -hmm. never been to, you know, I've, I've done a few concerts in Europe, and I've done few concerts uh, oh, uh, uh, I've done a few things in Central America uh, you know we, you know we've, we've done some different traveling but I've never been to Sri Lanka I've never uh, you hear an airplane going overhead I think they spotted me <laughs> I knew they were coming I better get my straight jacket back on but anyway uh, the, the fact of the matter is our music now is going places that maybe we've never been to before I know Ernie Hoss does concerts in in um, South Africa. I've never been to South Africa, but if I see where uh, songs have been downloaded or someone is listening to a single or a comedy song in South Africa, maybe it's not physically paying as much. It was just downloaded a handful of times, but I look at the spiritual side of it and I go, that's really neat. I'm sitting here in East Tennessee and my song is being played in South Africa, maybe cheering up someone that is also facing the pandemic. And so that's, that's really, it's, you know, a, a, a cool thing. Oh yeah. And you, you never know what seeds are being planted and, and everything. Um, it, when it comes to that, and, you know, technology is a, uh, you can't stop it. And, the only thing you can really do is is adapt with what's, adapt with what's it coming. And realize um, that, that that is the world we're in. Whether you are Michael Buble or you are triumphant, uh, the fact of the matter is, or, you, or you're Tim Lovelace or you're Miles Pike, the fact of the matter is it's all going digital, and you either we either can get on board and then learn more about it or not. Uh, and fight it, it's going there wh 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 whether we want it to or not, you know. And, 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 and another cool thing about music, though, if I can say, is my 17-year-old, Gabrielle, um, loves vinyl, and I love to see so many young people back into vinyl, and a lot of projects now are, are, are being released as vinyl. So that is cool to see kind of the full circle that it's going back to that, and a lot of Teenagers and college age are, are saying, "Give me the vinyl," which I think is uh, kind of I, I think it's kind of funny that the record companies shut it down, and now there's a whole bunch of young people going, "I want vinyl." <laughs> I, I, I have a feeling if it does come full circle and we we come back around to you know vinyl and you know all that back around to CD, I have a feeling they'll skip eight track. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's uh, let's end our podcast with these lightning round questions and uh, see if we can get some recommendations. Well, how about uh, influential gospel artist? 
Oh, uh, well, definitely as a child, Jake Hess, uh, but uh, Blackwoods and the Statesman. Uh, and then as I got older, I would, uh, of course, as a kid, I listened to the Florida Boys and and uh, and, and, and the gospel single Jubilee. All right. Uh, what about an uh, influential gospel song? There was a song, let me, this goes way back to my childhood, a song called uh, In the Beginning by Frankie Lane. Everyone will have to look that one up. An obscure yeah. song, but it was one of my dad's favorite, and we had it on a 45. In the Beginning, Frankie Lane. Look that one up. <laughs> I think I will. Um, how about a secular artist? Um, Ray Charles really influenced me because of his feel on the not only singing but on the piano uh ray mm -hmm. charles man he just blew me away uh, uh so yeah I'll, I'll go i'll go with go go with ray as, as, as especially especially that piano all right what what's a favorite secular song that would probably be let me see that would probably be, be um louis armstrong what a wonderful world oh all right yeah Think to myself, what a wonderful world. <laughs> yeah. Great, Can't great, sing the whole great song message. through, you'll end up sounding like him permanently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. If I just go verse and chorus, I'll be, I'll be scarred for life. <laughs> uh, how about an influential comedian, someone who influenced your style and desire to get into it? Red Skelton, man, he laid yep, me out. Yep. Clem Cadiddlehopper, all of, all the different characters he did, but Red was just, he was clean and funny and and self-deprecating Red Skelton. Gertrude Heathcliff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I grew up on him too. <laughs> uh, how about a songwriter that influenced the way that you, you uh, treat a song? Well, you, uh, so, so, so many uh, uh, songwriters, but but on the lightning part of it, I would go with uh, Vep Ellis, um, and a lot of people may not be familiar with Vep anymore. But he wrote some great songs. Look him up, Vep Ellis, uh, and uh, and he had great internal rhyming. Uh, and then as as I was coming to age of writing more and a teenager and all of that as far as gospel i'd say M M mosey lister and uh, uh -huh. stuart hamlin and uh um uh, th they they greatly influenced me all right how about an album recommendation one that you just uh, from songwriting to instrumentation to everything else that you really think stands out well, you know, th th this is a new project. I, I say it's maybe three years old, but uh, the the lost uh, uh, hymns of Fanny Crosby. Uh, the, the, uh -huh. the, I think it's called I think it's called the uh, newly discovered hymns of Fanny Crosby. And hmm. and uh, and I'm not saying that to try to get in a, a plug for myself, but uh, it was just a highlight to me because I I got to co-write one of the songs with with uh, Wayne Hahn and, and, and Joel Lindsay, we, we got to, they found some of Fanny Crosby songs that had been lost for over a hundred years, and oh, we got to finish them, so we got to co-write with Fanny, although she died in 1915, that's not easy to do. <laughs> but I love the project for a lot of reasons, because I love Fanny, and there's like 15 different songs on there, but they're all different artists, and and uh, uh, so from Ernie to Booth Brothers to, Rhonda Vincent to uh, you know just 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 uh, uh, the Guardians and so uh, I love it because of 15 totally different sounding songs but they all honor and they're songs that she started in the 1800s 
So it's, well, it's, it's, gotta, it's a phenomenal project. I've got to check that out. You have um, to get it. How about a book? And it can be any any genre, any subject. Um, let's see. Lightning round. Mark Batterson, uh, Chase the Lion. Chase the Lion. L-I-O-N. With my southern accent, it may sound like L-Y. <laughs> but L-I-O-N. <laughs> Chase the Lion. Mark Batterson. It is a must-read for, for every Christian. It just... And just so inspirational. Last but not least, everybody on the podcast gets a promotion. You are a ruler of the world. So what's ah. your first order? Congratulations. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, first of all, if I'm ruler of the world, the world has crashed. Uh, we're in worse condition than COVID, that's for sure. Uh, if, I was, if I was ruler of the world, I guess my... my, my uh, my first order would be to everybody is be kind to everyone. Um, uh, everyone. Be kind good luck to on e- that one. Be good, yeah, good <laughs> luck on it. But that would be my rule, especially to children, especially to seniors. Uh, you know, of course, scripturally, we're called to love everybody. I would say we have to be kind to everyone. And uh, uh, if you're not, I'll, then I would say, well, I'm going to have to turn you over to Miles. He, 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 he's in charge of, uh, of, uh, of punishment. Oh, okay. Well, uh, you know, when you say everyone, I mean, you don't mean like the other political party, right? I mean everyone. I mean every every party. we got to be kind to everyone. (laughs) Everyone. Well, since you're going to split hairs, I guess we'll do that. <laughs> well, uh, well, I'll tell you what, once this podcast is released, we'll try it that day, and uh, and we'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> okay, exactly, exactly. Well, you know, you've had some great questions, and uh, I uh, appreciate it, and uh, gr- great to be with you, and... And, and hopefully, Miles, on, on a personal note, we'll, we'll work out something sometime. We, we do a couple concerts together when things open up. And oh, absolutely. I sure do appreciate your time. You've been so generous with it. And uh, hopefully we'll get to, to pick your brain at a, at a later time. But uh, God bless you, my brother, and you have a good day. Bless you, buddy. Well, I hope that you enjoyed this time that we spent together. I know that I have, and I pray that it has made you more appreciate the forms and functions of worship and the gifted people who help facilitate it. Continue the conversation by emailing any questions or suggestions you may have through my website at www.milespipemusic.com. That's M-I-L-E-S-P-I-K-E music.com. Support this endeavor by rating, reviewing, and sharing. If you want to go the extra mile, then I would greatly appreciate it if you purchase some digital downloads or hard copies of my music through the website and patronize our guest in any way that you can. Websites and details to that end will be in the show notes. This program plans to release every other week, so keep your eye out for the next edition of the Miles Pike Podcast. Till next time, worship wisely.